There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. Welcome to episode 20 of Revealing the True Light. In the last two episodes, we covered six foundational beliefs found in Catholicism. Is the Catholic Church the one true church? Is the Pope infallible, the sole vicar of Christ on earth? Is infant baptism biblical? Is the priesthood exclusive? Is ecclesiastical clothing scriptural? And is celibacy necessary for priests and nuns? Now, on this episode, we're going to cover three more beliefs of the Roman Catholic Church. Confession, absolution, and penance. All three of these make up one of the sacraments, which is referred to now as reconciliation. It would probably be good to review the seven sacraments that are embraced in Catholicism. Number one is baptism. Number two is the Eucharist or Holy Communion. Number three is confirmation. Number four is reconciliation, also called confession or penance. Number five is anointing the sick, also called extremunction. Number six is marriage, and number seven is holy orders. In this episode, however, we will only deal with issues surrounding the fourth sacrament, which is reconciliation. Sacraments are sacred rites of the Catholic Church that show the evidence of grace in a person's life according to their doctrine. In the Council of Trent in 1547, a curse was formally pronounced, the word is actually anathema from the Greek, on anyone who does not accept all seven sacraments as being inspired by Jesus Christ. Furthermore, a curse was pronounced on anyone who teaches all Christians have the power to minister the word and the sacraments. So dealing with these issues is a very serious matter. Now, there is some controversy over what the exact interpretation of anathema is. Paul used it in Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. He said, if anyone preaches any other gospel than what you have heard, even if it's an angel from heaven, let him be anathema or accursed. And so again, this is a very serious matter. Let's go to the fourth sacrament. What does reconciliation mean? To be reconciled means to be restored to a former right relationship. And within Catholicism, it means being restored to a right relationship, not only with God, but with the church. This process is effected by confession, absolution, and penance. Let's talk about confession first. The necessity of confessing your sins to a priest is emphasized in Catholicism. Now, under the Old Covenant, it was necessary to go through priests who acted as mediators, officiating over the sacrificial offerings and the ministry of the Tabernacle of Moses, and later on, the Temple of Solomon. 
However, in the new covenant, every believer is granted access into God's presence, and every believer can personally appeal to God for forgiveness. In fact, it is somewhat ironic that during the coronavirus crisis worldwide, the Pope recently gave Catholics permission to go to God directly in repentance and confession in order to be forgiven of their sins. Well, if that is allowable during this crisis, then why isn't it allowable at any other time? Of course, the excuse would be that many are quarantined and couldn't get to the church or get to the confessional. But if it's still allowed now, it should always be allowed. And certainly the scripture confirms that, that all Christians can go directly to God. Let me give you a couple of scriptures. Hebrews 10, 19 through 22 says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, that passage declares that every believer has access into the Holy of Holies, which was the dwelling place of the glory of God in the tabernacle of Moses. In other words, we can all access the throne room of God and a place of intimacy with God. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 16 through 18 says that God has reconciled both Gentiles and Jews unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. And Jesus came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. Through him, we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. So I don't need a mediator. My mediator is a high priest over the house of God. His name is Jesus. Not only are we allowed in God's presence, we are joyously welcomed in God's presence. Ephesians 3.12 says that in Christ we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith that we have in him. Now, all Christians are encouraged to confess their sins to each other in Scripture, but there is no passage that declares we must confess our sins to a priest. Now, I was raised in the Catholic Church. I was an altar boy for many years, and to be absolutely honest with you, one of the most painful or challenging things was going to the confessional on Saturday night and spilling the beans on all the things that you had done wrong. Now, you were only supposed to confess specifically mortal sins, and mortal sins are those that could result in damnation or could result in a total loss of fellowship with God, and venial sins, well, you could kind of lump them all together. But it was still a, a very difficult thing to bear your heart that way to this priest that was just beyond the screen in the confessional. And even though you couldn't see his face, it was still just a heart-rending experience. But supposedly necessary. However, the Bible doesn't say that. Now, there are scriptures that talk about how we should share areas of weakness with each other. 
For instance, James chapter 5, verse 16 says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. That's talking about becoming transparent with each other and sharing with each other the need to be prayed for and interceding for each other. But once again, it never said that that had to be done with a priest. The strongest passage I could quote to you is 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. In that verse, we are told, if we confess our sin, if we, talking directly to God to ourselves now, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's just based on faith. It's based on a belief in the promises of God. If I believe in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, then I can be washed. I can be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. In fact, in Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, it says, unto him who loved us and who washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests. That particular verse says anyone who has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus becomes a priest. So why would you have to go through someone who is ordained to be a priest when everyone who is washed in the blood is a priest in God's sight? And the word priest simply means one who has access into the presence of God. That was the essence of the meaning of the Hebrew word Kohen, which was translated priest. We are a holy priesthood, according to 1 Peter 2.5, and a royal priesthood, according to 1 Peter 2.9. So you don't have to go to a priest. You are a priest. And the mindset when you go to the confessional is that you are a sinner. And yet, the emphasis in the New Testament is that you were a sinner, but once you're converted and become a child of God, you become a saint. In, in a future episode, we'll be dealing with that whole issue about the veneration of the saints. But right now, let's stick with this, this whole idea of confession, which leads to absolution, which leads to penance, which leads to reconciliation. So after you confess your sins, what happens? First of all, you have to make an act of contrition. You say, my God, I am sorry for my sins with all my heart in choosing to do wrong and failing to do good. I have sinned against you whom I love above all things. I firmly intend with your help to do penance, to sin no more, and to avoid whatever leads me to sin. Our Savior Jesus Christ suffered and died for us. In his name, my God, have mercy. Amen. Now that's one of the acts of contrition that can be quoted right after confession. Now once you do that, you prepare yourself to receive absolution from the priest. And that's when the priest pronounces over you, and this is the current formula after the liturgical reforms of 1970. This is the statement, of course, if I were to quote it in Latin, you wouldn't understand it. But in English, it's God, the Father of mercies, through the death and resurrection of his Son, has reconciled the world to himself and sent the Holy Spirit among us for the forgiveness of sins through the ministry of the church. 
Did you hear that? Through the ministry of the church, may God give you pardon and peace. And I absolve you from your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. How many times I remember hearing the priest say, in nomine patris et fili et spiritus santi, all the hundreds of times I went to confession in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And oh, you would feel this burden lifting from you. But then you had to do penance. Now, why do Catholics believe that priests have the authority to grant absolution? Probably the most important passage to quote from would be the Gospel of John, chapter 20, and you should read verses 19 through 23. This is when Jesus appeared to them after he arose from the dead, and he said, peace be with you. And when he said that, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. I think that's one of the biggest understatements of the Bible. They were glad. No, they were absolutely ecstatic. So Jesus said to them again, peace be to you, or most likely in Hebrew, he said, shalom, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Listen to the next two verses carefully. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So in the Catholic mindset, then that was an impartation of the authority to absolve sins given to the early disciples and apostles who were the leadership of the early church, and that authority was transferred and translated later on to those who were in the priesthood. Now, the Bible never outlines that chain of events. The Bible never forecasts that chain of events, but that's how it's been interpreted. Now, the main arguments against this being in the power of the priest could be arguments like it was spoken to all the disciples who were in the upper room or whatever room they were gathered in, and that included women. Mary was there, according to Acts chapter 1, verse 14, yet women are excluded from the priesthood. And also, the priesthood did not exist then. Those were just individual believers, and we don't know if it was all uh, made up of chief disciples or not. There could have been just common followers of the Lord in the room when Jesus came in and breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, there are some examples where these two things are mentioned in Scripture. This verse, verse 23 of John chapter 20, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. That's not the only way forgiveness can be received from God. It was just saying that these Holy Spirit-filled believers could speak forgiveness over people if they chose to, like Stephen did when he was being martyred. He was being stoned, pummeled with rocks. He said, God, lay not this sin to their charge. And I guarantee you the people who stoned him may have been judged by God severely for other sins, but according to John 20, 23, they were not charged with the sin of killing Stephen. 
A negative example is found in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, where Paul said, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. He did not forgive his sin. He retained his sin. And he pronounced that the Lord, or he pronounced prayerfully that the Lord will reward him according to all of the trouble that he had caused Paul. So there you have it. You have the fulfillment of that passage of scripture. The thing is, Jesus told all of his disciples in Luke chapter 24, verse 46 through 49, that it was written, it was necessary for the Christ to suffer, to rise from the dead, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And so we communicate to others that if you call on the name of Jesus, your sins can be remitted. It's that simple. You don't have to go through a mediating priest because Incidentally, the Bible said there's one God and one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. Now, we come to penance. After you receive absolution, then normally a penance is given to you by the priest, and that usually involves the repetition of certain prayers, like the Our Father, the Hail Mary, or the Glory Be. Now, the glory be is a very short prayer. It's glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. I've said it probably 10,000 times as a Catholic. And yet, Jesus warned against prayer that is repetitious. In his first primary sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, he said, use not vain repetitions like the heathen do. If you can earn your forgiveness by the repetition of prayers, maybe 10 Our Fathers, 10 Hail Marys, 10 Glory Bees, then Jesus went to the cross in vain. It's faith in his blood that brings forgiveness, faith in his crucifixion, faith in his resurrection. That was that huge revelation that came to Martin Luther when he, a tormented Catholic monk that could not sense within himself a confidence that he had been forgiven, he, he cried out to God over and over again for help. And then one day he saw that scripture in Romans 1.17, the just shall live by faith. And I read in his autobiography this statement. He said, when he read that passage I felt myself to have been reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. This passage of Paul became to me a gate to heaven. How fantastic that is. He finally realized that it wasn't penance that earned him a status of righteousness in the sight of God, but it was justification by faith. And the word justification means to be legally acquitted of all guilt, just as if you never sinned, and to be considered righteous in the sight of heaven. Now, all of this is very important. Martin Luther's revelation changed the world. It was the spark or one of the sparks that started the fire of Protestant Reformation burning throughout Europe and over into the new world. And I believe it's something we still need to consider. Even if you are Catholic, you need to consider what I've shared because it revolutionized my life. I was on my way to the monastery at one point, but then when I realized these truths, I understood that every believer has an intimate 
access into the presence of God and needs no mediating priests. Confession, we confess directly to God. Absolution, that comes direct from God. And penance, well, contrition is a good thing. And making amends for things you've done wrong is a good thing, but it doesn't earn you forgiveness. The crucifixion of the Son of God is enough. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shreve's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.